mercy and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So what does this have to do with today, with our lives today? That's a common reaction when we're reading the Bible. I know for those of us who've been reading through Genesis over the last few weeks, you've definitely been wondering more than once I have been, what does this have to do with our lives today? And perhaps nowhere does this question become more salient, more apparent than in the epistle reading we shared a moment ago from 1 Corinthians 8, where St. Paul talks about food offered to idols. This is one of these topics that really takes the cake, or in this case, takes the steak. (laughs) Thank you. I'll be here all week. (laughs) Because Paul's not just talking about food offered to idols generally. It's meat offered to idols. And what in the world does this have to do with anything? You know, this old topic, this old problem that you're discussing around the water cooler, right? What about food offered to idols? Well, this is the deal. So going back to uh, in the ancient days, food would be offered up to idols in the temple And there in the temple, it would then be, uh, after it was used, it would be sold at kind of a cut-rate price for those who might like to get some meat. It was a luxury in the ancient world to have some meat. And so here's my opportunity to get some meat cheaply. That's great. Or it might also be an opportunity where you're invited to uh, a meal, and maybe it's going to be in the temple courts. It was kind of like the fellowship hall in the ancient world. It's a big place where people could gather together, and so... You're invited to this meal, and it's at the temple, and they're eating food offered to idols. Like, okay, pastor, where are we going with this? What could this possibly have to do with today? I know that the distance between this topic and our lives today seems very great, and in many ways it is. And yet there's an underlying lesson for us still, which is, is timeless and no less applicable for us. That lesson is this. You can be right and still be dead wrong. You can be right and still be dead wrong. Why is that? What's the beef that Paul has here? And do I have any more such jokes? We'll find out. (laughs) Stay tuned. The beef was this. There were differing sides on this question. Is it okay to eat this meat that's offered up to idols or to hang out in the temple and have these meals? For those who were known as the strong, they said, listen, we have this knowledge. We understand that these idols are nothing. They're false gods. In light of our understanding of who God is and how he has revealed himself in Jesus, we know, as Paul quotes them, that there is only one God and he is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, these idols don't mean anything. And so the position of these strong folks, so-called, was this knowledge frees us to eat the meat, to go to the temple, to enjoy the meal because the idols are nothing. And so why not enjoy that? That meal, and perhaps it's even an opportunity to evangelize, they might say. Conversely, there were the folks who came to be known as the weak. And for them, many of them were coming out of pagan worship. They were coming out of this background where they really did have a, a belief in these idols as true gods. And so for them, that, those habitual associations made it really hard for them even to be around in the temple. They think, well, wait a second. Doesn't our faith call us to separate from the world? Don't we want to be unstained from all of this idol worship? Or to use a more contemporary analogy, you might think of somebody who's been struggling with alcoholism. 
And now they don't want to be around alcohol. If they see other Christians who are drinking, it can be like, well, wait a second. I thought we were supposed to be totally separate, totally distant from this sort of thing. You can understand the position of the so-called weak as well. So which of them is right? Is it okay to eat the meat that's offered up to idols or not? I hope you're starting to see that even though this is a topic that seems in the distant past, it definitely has some contemporary relevance. Now, the ultimate point at issue, the problem, as Paul puts his finger on it, is interesting. He says, listen, the problem is not these idols and their existence or non-existence. He's like, in this respect, the strong folks have it right. Their theology is airtight. What they know is correct. There are no idols, and in that respect, it's good. It's fine. But he says the problem isn't the idols. The real problem the issue here at this church in Corinth is the love, or rather the lack of love, that's being shown to the weaker brother. He says that's what really matters. And so his message in this text and throughout his letter to the Corinthians is, as he'll put later in that famous chapter, chapter 13 of Corinthians, he says, if I have all knowledge but have not love, I'm nothing, see. And if there were any doubt about that, just take a look at our gospel reading. Because who's the one character that we see there who's right, who has the right theological answer, who knows that Jesus is the Holy One of God? Who is it? It's the demon. Yeah. You can be right, Paul's saying, and still be dead wrong. You can know all of the answers, but if that's not accompanied by love, then you're in the wrong. You've utterly failed. And is this a lesson that we still need to heed today as believers? Yeah, you better believe it. We still need to heed this lesson because it's all too easy for us to take this very precious knowledge of the gospel and of the scriptures and to, to take this knowledge, which should be a cause for humility, and to take it instead and to use it as a, a club to beat others with rather than a crutch to help hold up the weak. That's where Paul would lead us to. Not to use this knowledge as a club to, to beat others who don't know yet as we know, but instead as a crutch to help those who are weaker in faith, those who are still learning and growing and maturing to continue forward in the journey of Christ. It's a problem, a challenge I think any of us can face, and we're allured into it precisely by that depth and knowledge of faith. And it can sound ever so pious and simple where, you know, you're talking with somebody and, you know, they're struggling through issues with the economy. Maybe they've even lost a job. And you say, oh, you're worried about losing your job. Well, don't you know, man shall not live by bread alone. Oof. Is that right? Sure. Is it wrong? Also, yes. Oh, your, your friend died? Your, your sibling died? That your loved one passed away? Wipe those tears up. They're with Jesus in heaven. You shouldn't be sad. Are you right? Are you wrong? I tell the story of myself because I've learned this lesson many times and continue to learn this lesson. I'm 20 years old and I go on my first short-term mission trip down to Haiti with my pastor, young pastor at the time, Eric Tritton, who's from nearby, he's from Manistee, and now he's a friend and a colleague, so he doesn't mind me telling the story. Uh, we go on this mission trip, and we get down to Haiti, and we find that the, the situation, the environment that we're in is way more dicey than what we anticipated. 
Like, it just seems downright dangerous in many respects. And there I am. I'm a 20-year-old. I don't know any better. So I'm like, cool, this is fun. We're on an adventure. Pastor Tritton, the original Pastor T, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Pastor Tritton is thinking about his wife who he left at home and his three young kids. And in this moment of real vulnerability that especially in retrospect just blows me away, he, he kind of confides in me. He's like, Ryan, you know, I don't know if it was right for me to come on this trip. I just feel like it was, it was maybe kind of reckless. What if something happens to me? I my wife at home and the kids. He's just pouring his heart out. And then Ryan, in his infinite wisdom, says, Oh, pastor, you should know better. Doesn't Jesus say, do not worry? Oh, he gave me a look like, I'll show you about not worrying, right? <laughs> Was I right? Was I wrong? It happens so easily for us as believers. Anytime in, in our Christian witness, when we give the impression that what matters more is how much we know rather than how much we're loved. It happens in our relationships when we choose the easy path of rightness rather than the narrow path of patient love. And yet in all those cases, we need to hear and heed this lesson that you can be right and still be dead wrong. Or to paraphrase Paul once again, if you think you know something and you don't know, you don't know as you ought to know. You've missed the, the plot. You've lost the thread. But what is the plot? <laughs> if we've missed it, if we've lost that thread of, of true faith and practice, well, well what is it? Paul really just alludes to it. He gives us just the littlest bit of that thread in our reading here when he speaks of the brother for whom Christ died. But let's pull on that thread a little bit more. He also says in his letter to the Romans that at the right time, Christ died for the weak. He himself became weak in order to save you and me. See, Jesus succumbed to so much of being wrong in order to make you right and righteous in the sight of God the Father. Over and over and over again, our Lord Jesus did not, uh, uh, he didn't argue for himself. He didn't stand up and say, hey, wait a second. He, he, in fact, did just the opposite. He said, listen, I know that I'm in the right, and I could call down legions of angels right now to show everybody how right I am. And yet he was wronged to make you right and righteous in the sight of God the Father. And when I think about this path of patient love that our Lord embodied and showed for you and me, for me, kind of the preeminent moment is the night when he was betrayed. And St. John tells us this. He says, Jesus, knowing all things, knowing where he's going, knowing what awaits him, knowing all of that, what does he do? He stoops down and washes his disciples' feet. And in that moment, he shows us the true path of, of Christian humility, of what faithfulness looks like. It's not about all you know. It's about the love that you show as he lays himself down for your sake and mine. But that life that he lets go, the Father lifts back up. 
And God the Father vindicated our Lord Jesus and showed for him and for all the world, yes, he was right all along. He was in the right. And yet even then, our Lord Jesus risen from the dead, his victory proclamation is not, I told you so. But it is ever and always, I love you so. That's why he went so far, to give himself for us. And then, to send you and me out to show that love to others. On that same trip, that conversation that I had with Pastor T was at the beginning of the trip. When we were you know, on the bus, and we were making our way down, he's pouring out his heart, and there was wise Ryan sharing his knowledge that was just puffed up. But at the tail end of that trip, on our last night there, we took the opportunity and our leaders led us in a moment of washing one another's feet. And when I looked down to see who was it that was washing my feet, who should I see? But my dear pastor, the one who had every reason not to care for me so much in that moment, it's Pastor T, stooping down to wash my feet this smug punk. But in that moment, it was a master class in mercy, wasn't it? More than all of the words that he could have said, he showed me that, Ryan, it's not about what you know. It's about how that knowledge translates into love. The love of our Lord shared for one another. What do I know? What do you know? Jesus loves me. This I know. This is what we know. And that while we are weak, he is strong for you. That's what I know. That's all the knowledge I need. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.